0: and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 48 of the Deeper Christian podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and I want to talk about obsession again. (laughs) Let's dive in. Now, if you've been following this podcast, back in episode number 30, I talked about this idea of obsession. In fact, I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode number 30 because I really walked through this idea using some kind of crazy illustrations from my own life of what does it mean to be obsessed and the fact that God created us to be obsessed. Well, if you spend any time around me, you know I have a great love and affinity for my good friend and mentor, Stephen Manley. Back in 2005, I traveled with Stephen over the summer and it really was a summer that turned my world upside down. I I began to see the word of God come alive. And I was really pressed on this idea of obsession. See, one, one of Stephen's big passions in life is, are you all out for Jesus Christ? Are you really building your life around him? In fact, over the last 50 or so years of ministry, Stephen's great passion has been pushing people to know Jesus Christ and the word of God. Now, one of my all-time favorite sermons by Stephen is this sermon called Obsessed. It was given quite a few decades ago, and oddly, it was kind of found kind of by accident. Stephen had come to our church when I was still a teenager, and he had a little book table out and was, you know, selling some of his cassette tapes of his sermons. And there was a little basket containing just some odd cassette tapes for really cheap, and just by chance, I kind of went through it and pulled out this one called Obsessed. Well, little did I know that sermon actually was kind of lost in the archives of Stephen for a long time. And it wasn't until I started working with him that I said, hey, where is that sermon called Obsessed? And no one knew what I was talking about outside of Stephen, but he didn't have a copy. So we ended up finding an old copy. We produced it, made a digital version of it. And if I could be honest with you, is probably one of those sermons I've no doubt heard well over 100 times. And it's one of those that just crystallize or articulate a concept for me that I passionately want in my personal life which is this idea of running after and being full out and obsessed with Jesus. In fact, this sermon has some of my all-time favorite illustrations in it talking about this idea of obsession. Now, this episode's a little bit long, but I promise you it is well worth the 45-ish minutes to listen to this sermon. I was going to break it in half, but it really doesn't do the message justice if you don't hear it in its entirety. So I would encourage you to just take some time, focus upon Jesus and look at what does it mean to be obsessed. Now the sermon is taken from Stephen Manley's old archives from a sermon he preached from John chapter six. Let's listen. Gospel of John
1: chapter 6 It's an exciting chapter A lot is taking place in this chapter You'll want to follow carefully in the scriptures We're going to read some special verses They begin at verse 53 And take us down through verse 57 John chapter 6 You'll note it has 71 verses in it Again, a lot of taking place in this chapter There's the beginning scene Which is the feeding of the 5,000 You'll note in verse 15 There is the place where Jesus walks on the water and it calms the sea and rescues the disciples. Uh, Jesus begins to preach a fantastic sermon. It's the sermon called the bread from heaven or I am the bread of life, which begins about verse 26. And then you'll note as he speaks, there is a great murmuring that takes place. So Jesus turns around and preaches the same sermon the second time. It's the original rerun sermon. And he preaches it the second time. We are reading the heart of the rerun sermon. And then the chapter ends up on a discouraging note because a large part of the crowd has turned and follows Him no longer. John chapter 6, verse 53. Let's stand together in honor of the Word. John chapter 6, verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father has sent me. And I live by my Father, so he who feeds on me will live by me. The last verse again. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by my Father, so he who feeds on me will live by me. We want to eat of you in this hour, dear Jesus. We want to devour you, digest you. As we take food into our stomach, it's digested and goes to every pore of our being, every cell of our living experience. May you be digested into the heart of our system. May you flow through every attitude, infiltrate every thought. May you dominate every bit of energy. May you literally come and flow through our total being. We want to drink of you, eat of you, be our life today. Then, in we commit these moments in your name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A miracle had been performed. It was unlike any miracle that had ever been done any place anywhere else, I guess. It was unprecedented in the histories. Nobody had ever dreamed that a miracle quite like this could possibly take place. Now, Jesus had done lots of great miracles. Uh, no problem there. In fact, at one point, he was going to raise the dead. That's a fantastic miracle. Lazarus was going to come forth from the tomb They were going to take the grave clothes off of him He was going to be alive Fifty renowned Jews stood around and watched that whole scene They went back to Jerusalem and told everybody what Jesus had done What a great miracle it was But you see, that was one man experiencing the power of God in his life Well, again, fifty renowned Jews stood around and watched the whole thing And thought it was neat But they didn't get in on the miracle power of God Most of Jesus' miracles were like that. A few isolated individuals experienced the divine miracle power. But the rest of the people stood around and watched and thought it was really neat. But this miracle, this miracle, unprecedented. You see, Jesus stood there. He had fish and bread, five loaves, two fish. He blessed this bread. He turned to one called Peter who was standing here. And he said, Pete, I want you to start right over there with, over there with that group of 50. There were 50 men sitting over there, 50 men sitting back there, 50 men here, 50 men there. In fact, they numbered into the 5,000 bracket. Anytime you've got 5,000 men any place. You've got 10,000 women and children. Here were literally 15,000 people, no doubt about it, stretched out there. Pete takes this loaf of bread. He looks at it and says to Jesus, I eat more than this at breakfast time myself. Well, just start right over there, Peter. Just by faith, go right over there and start feeding a multitude. Peter takes this one loaf of bread. He goes over there to this first group of 50. The first guy looks like he could devour it with one bite. Pete must have turned to him and said, scrape off a crumb and pass it on. This first guy takes that loaf of bread and breaks that dude in half, and then he passed it. And when he passed it, friend, there's no doubt in my mind, it multiplied. Could it be that the miracle of multiplication was not in the hands of the Christ? Could it be that the miracle of multiplication was in the hands of 5,000 men who by faith in obedience broke and passed. 5,000 men got in on the dynamic miracle power of God 5,000 men all at the same time experienced the moving miracle power of the divine God flowing through their hands these men are sitting out there you know how it is on a free meal You eat so much you can't hardly stand yourself. They're breaking and passing and stuffing away. Breaking and passing and stuffing away. When they had stuffed their faces until they couldn't get another crumb in. I know what I'd have done. I'd have leaned back and taken my afternoon nap. Not these boys. They had a better idea. They all got up after this free meal. They began to come after Jesus. They said, Jesus, we're going to make you our king. Think of it. Free bread all the time. We'd never even have to pay taxes. Wouldn't that be great? We want you to be our king. Jesus knew what they were up to. He told the disciples to get into a boat. He got them out into the sea away from the awful temptation. And he turned to the multitudes and hit them head on. And dismissed them. Went up into the mountainside to pray all night. It was in the wee hours of the morning the storm has come to the disciples. They've been out there battling this storm all night long. It's in the wee hours of the morning that Jesus finally comes from his prayer time, walks across these storm waves, skips from one to the other, comes close to the disciples, joins them in their boat, walking on the water, calms the sea, and brings them into shore safety. What a wonderful miracle it was. The crowds, realizing that Jesus was gone, of course, and that they had been dismissed and they didn't get their purpose accomplished, decide they're going to go looking for him. So they walk clear around the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee and search Jesus out. Finally, when they find him, they get around and say, Jesus, why did you leave us? We had great plans for you. We wanted to make you our king. Jesus said, hey... I know why you've come. I know why you've walked all this distance searching me out. I understand why. It isn't because you want to experience again the mighty moving miracle power of God in your hands. You don't crave the moving of the Spirit of God within. That's not why you've come. You've come because you want another free meal. I never turned one down in my life. You want another free meal. That's why you've come. You live on the level of your stomach. You live on the level of your materialism. You live on the level of your body passions. You live on the level of what makes you feel good. I know why you've come. Because the level of your stomach says, I'm hungry again. And you want to cash in on a free meal. He said, I'll tell you what I'd really like for you to do. I'd really like for you by faith to go deep, 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 deep down into real belief until by faith you could experience in your hands 24 hours a day what you experienced the other day when you got the miracle power of God working through you. You could have that 24 hours a day. They leaned back and said, hey, wouldn't that be great? Man, we could make our own free bread. They said, Jesus, we do have a problem, though. Our problem is we just can't believe. We have an awful time with this business of belief. We just can't get our act together. But you understand, it's not our fault. It really is my dad's fault. He's the one that trained me this way. In fact, his dad trained him. In fact, Jesus, it kind of runs in our family. We just got bad blood. The whole outfit of us, we've never been able to believe. You can read about us in the Old Testament. We've just never been able to believe like we should. You know what our, you know what God did back in the Old Testament when our forefathers couldn't believe? He gave them a sign. In fact, Jesus, one of the signs he gave was he rained down bread manna from the sky. Hey, Jesus, tell you what you ought to do. Give us a sign. Feed us one more time. Jesus said, you guys are con artists. You're trying to weasel another free meal out of me. You're always pulling the string, trying to get out of God. You always come begging. You always come wanting. You always come give me. You always, you're always you counting me. You don't want real faith and intimate relationship. You just want a free meal. You want a sign. Hey, I don't play that game. Except I might give you this. And he stood tall and straight and leaned back and must have raised his fist in the air and said, I am the bread of life. And he began to preach this fantastic sermon on I am the bread of life. What a masterpiece it was. It began to unfold, and as Jesus began to preach, he realized that about half the crowd sitting in the back was missing it. Because, you see, half the crowd was murmuring, talking, making folded airplanes, playing tic-tac-toe. They had it quite a time going back there. And Jesus realized that they weren't understanding what he was saying. They weren't getting in on his sermon. So you know what Jesus did when he got done preaching the sermon? He leaned back and preached the whole thing again. You wonder why we preach extra long. I can tell you we usually preach the same sermon twice in the same setting because you didn't get it the first time. See, if you'd pay attention the first time, we could cut this thing in half. So here's this Jesus preached this sermon. They missed it. He leaned around and preached the whole thing again. And this is the rerun sermon that we've read to you. You'll note in these tremendous verses, this is the climax to the sermon. In verse 53, he begins to build to a point. He's talked in verse 53 about the flesh of the Son of Man and drinking his blood. Verse 54, he talks about eating his flesh and having eternal life. He then moves to a great climax in verse 57. Look at it. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me will also live by me. What a fantastic verse. One thing I like about this so much is the fact that you don't have to be a theologian to understand it. It just kind of falls apart in your hands. You see, he's talking our language. He says, as so... So he's talking our language has a natural breakdown as so your teenager comes up to you and says, well, I don't understand how this works. You say, well, do you understand how this works? Well, yes, then let me explain to you this works on the same basic principle that this works on. So as this is this way, so this is this way, as so. You see, they've come to Jesus. They said, Jesus, you're talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. and What are you talking about? We don't get it. We don't understand what's going on. Jesus turns to them and says, have you been watching my life? Well, yeah. Have you seen how the Father and I have been kind of operating on this thing together? Yeah. Have you seen how the Father's been flowing His divine power through me? Yeah. Have you seen how the Father's been implanting His wisdom into my mind? Yeah. Do you see how I've been getting my directions and my instructions from the Father? Yeah. Have you been seeing how the Father and I are all wrapped up in this? And how we've become one? And the flow of the Father is happening through me and my very life is being produced by the Father? Have you been catching that? Well, yeah. Let me tell you, as so. You see, as the Father's been flowing through me, so now I'm going to flow through you. As I've been living by my Father, so you are going to live by me. As I've been constantly eating off of and deriving from the Father. So you are going to derive from me as the Father's been flowing through me. So I'm going to flow through you as I've done what the Father wanted me to do. So you're going to do what I want you to do as I've had a relationship with my Father. So now you are going to have a relationship with me. Do you understand that in Christianity, the relationship between the Father and Jesus is the pattern for the kind of relationship you and I are to have with Jesus? If you could ever find out what kind of intimacy, what kind of oneness, what kind of flow that Jesus had with his Father, you would know automatically, friend, what kind of intimacy and flow and life you're going to experience 24 hours a day in Jesus. He gives us some keys There's several of them, but we're only going to deal with one. Look at verse 57 again. As the living Father sent me. Stop right there. Sent me. There was one thing about Jesus Christ you just could not miss, and that was the fact He had been sent. You couldn't rub shoulders with Jesus for five seconds, friend, until you had this overwhelming sensation that Jesus knew where he was going, why he was going there, and how he was going to get there, that he had been sent. He had this overwhelming sense about him of destiny. He had this inward compulsion about him. He had this thrust. It seemed like everything he did would fit into one direction. He had one thing on his mind. His heart beat night and day for one single thing. He was all wrapped up in, obsessed with. He had this moving compassion at the depth of his system for one overwhelming thing. What was it? It was the Father's will. He had been sent to do the Father's will. Night and day, it was the Father's will. His mashed potatoes and gravy was the Father's will. The strength of His system was the Father's will. The whole compulsion of His mind was the Father's will. He was all wrapped up in the Father's will. Down to a garden of Gethsemane, pain and agony, sweating blood. It's not my will, but thine be done. Down through a cross, it's hanging and bleeding sensation for the Father's will. This Jesus was all wrapped up in and mastered by. He had this obsession, this driving passion. He was just bugged with the Father's will. His whole life, all his energy, everything he did, where he went, what he said, every attitude all flowed in one direction, the Father's will. He was obsessed with the Father's will. You know why I like that so much? He's talking our language. We know what it is to be obsessed. Ever get the car fever? We know what it is to be obsessed. Ever get something on your mind and you just can't shake it? It just keeps you up at night. It just bugs the living daylights out of you. You just can't stand it. When you got the car fever, you just think about it at night. You make plans. You get so dissatisfied with what you got. You just find your car going out of the way. It's just the car you're driving is just making a turn and it's going by the, the car lot over there. It just, it just, you, just can't, you just have to. You just, you're just bugged. You're just, you got the car fever obsessed. Jesus says, that's the way I am with the Father's will. I'm just obsessed. I got this fever. It just drives me my night and day. It keeps me up at night. It obsesses me. I talk about it. I eat and I drink it. I sleep it. It's everything I am. It's the Father's will. He's talking our language. I think that's really neat. I think it would be great if you could, um, if you could meet and talk to some of the great world athletes. I'm sure it would be a great experience. If you could talk to some of the people who won gold medals in the Olympics, say, some of the people who participated in gymnastics, if you could, say, you could talk to the individual who won the gold medal for gymnastics. Say, you'd go up to this young lady who won won, won a gold medal in gymnastics, and if you could carry on a conversation to her, you'd turn to her and say, "Uh, well, I'm interested in what kind of life you have. What is your life all about? She'd turn and say, oh, gymnastics. Gymnastics. You'd turn to her and say, well, uh, what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? She'd turn and say, oh, gymnastics. Uh, what's the last thing you do before you go to bed at night? Oh, she'd say, gymnastics. Uh, what is it that you like to do during the day? She'd say, oh, gymnastics. Uh, what is it that you do on the weekend just for fun? <laughs> oh, gymnastics. Uh, what kind of magazines do you like to read? Oh, gymnastics. What do you eat for breakfast? Oh, gymnastics. What do you think about, dream about it in your sleep at night? Oh, gymnastics. How do you think she won a gold medal, folks? They interviewed one of the guys who won a gold medal for swimming on TV. And as they interviewed him, they said, How could you win this gold medal on TV? They asked him that. Why, he said, I swim 12 hours a day. You'd look like a prune, wouldn't you? I swim 12 hours a day. I just swim and keep on swimming. Why you say, man, you are obsessed! Yeah obsessed one thing on my mind one driving passion Jesus says that's exactly the way I am I've got this overwhelming compulsion I've got this 12 hours a day deal going on I've got this thrust I've got this day in and day out I've got eat for breakfast all day long weekends evenings my whole life is all wrapped up in and obsessed with one overwhelming overwhelming driving compulsion what is it Jesus it's the Father's will talking our language I'm sure it's not this way around here, but if you'd come down to our place and go down to the high school, you would, ha- you would see what we have down our way. They are called, the I call them the leaning wall breed. We have hundreds of them all over the high school. They're the leaning wall breed. You can spot them because they always have their elbow... Crooked like this. They have their fists doubled up and they have it right on their chin like this. And down at the gymnasium someplace, they'll be leaning like this against the wall. The leaning wall breed. They do it for hours. You wonder why they're leaning there? That's no problem. You see, they have this lovely young thing that's standing right here real close to them. In fact, their lips are real close to her head. In fact, they're real close right up to her ear. And these leaning wall breeds, they they whisper stuff in this ear. And if you could read lips, it's very soft, you couldn't hear it, but if you could read lips, you'd really be in because then you could begin to understand what they're saying and what they're all about. Because if you could get at the right angle and read their lips, you'd hear something like this. You'd see something like this. For for he's saying, I love you. I live for you. It's the truth, folks. It really is the truth. You watch the poor fellow. He gets up earlier in the morning than he ever got up in his whole life, and he spruces himself all up. He goes out and jumps into his car, drives down to her house, runs up the sidewalk, bangs on her door, grabs all her hand, walks her out to the car, opens up the front door, she slides in, slams the door. He gets in, drives down to the high school, and sits in front of the high school until the bell rings. He jumps out, goes around, grabs the front door, grabs her hand, walks her to her first class, waves goodbye, beats it to his class almost late. Class is dismissed. He runs back to her class, grabs her books, grabs her books, Grabs her hand, walks her to the next class, and waves goodbye. Beats it back to his class, almost late. Bell rings, he runs back to her class. Oh, he grabs all her hand, grabs her books, walks her to her next class, waves goodbye, beats it back to his class, almost late. Dinner time, they sit in the cafeteria, eat out of the same plate, great deal. Hey, eat out of the same plate. Dinner is over, they go to the study hall, study with the book upside down, masterful trick. Hey, the bell rings, grabs all her hand, walks her to her next class, beats it back to his class, all bell rings school is out he grabs all her hand walks her to the car opens up the front door she slides in slams the door gets in drives down to her house sits in front of her house and talks or something for about an hour and a half now after about an hour and a half is over he opens up the front door grabs her hand walks her to her to her front door he gets out he, he runs back to his car he opens up the door he slides in he drives down to his house he just gets down to his house runs through the front door picks up the phone and talks to her for another hour and a half. Now, after another hour and a half on the phone, he goes in, gets all spruced up, and goes back and picks her up for a date. You say, brother, you are obsessed. You got one girl on your brain cell. Don't you know there's about a million other good-looking women around this place? There are. You're obsessed. She determines your weekends. She determines what you do in the evening. She determines how you spend your money. She determines what kind of grades you get. She determines what kind of car you drive. Your whole life revolves around and is mastered by her. Jesus says, want to tell you, that's the way I am. I got this obsession. I got this compulsion. I got this in, inward driving sensation. I'm talking about night and day, day and night. I'm talking about morning, evenings, weekends. I'm talking about evening. I'm talking about my whole life is all wrapped around one thing. I have one high priority, one driving passion. What is it, Jesus? It's the Father's will. He's talking our language. This young couple got married, and I had the opportunity of marrying him in one of our pastorates and. Oh, I wanted to get him in church really bad. And honeymoon was over and so forth. And I went calling on him and just got in through the front door and, and handed him my coat. And and he just turned on like a Christmas tree. I mean, you could just see it happen. You could have turned out the lights. He was just beaming. And I knew as he opened up his mouth and began to communicate to me that he the, what he was going to say was no doubt the number one big deal in his life. He said, preacher. He said, come in here. I want to show you something. And he took me into this great, well, it was a, it was a den. And in this den there were these shells. I'm talking about supported shells, heavy shells. And on, they had to be because on these shells were these great big trophies, bowling trophies. He leaned back and said, I want every one of those. I said, you did? He said, yeah, sure did. He said, let me tell you how I won this first one. He started in blow by blow account, told me how they came right down to the last frame or two. And he came through with the strike and pulled that thing off just by a few pins. And all the time he was telling all this, he had this rubber ball in his hand, and was squeezing it like this. Five hours later, we were on the sixth trophy as he was explaining how he won these trophies. And he was squeezing this ball for these solid five hours. I looked at him and said, what on earth are you doing with that rubber ball? Strengthening the muscles of that hand that bowling ball better. I said, this is fantastic. He had this big desk and he had he had all these, these magazines and books laid out and had all these diagrams and techniques for bowling. I said, hey, brother, sure would like to see you on Wednesday night prayer meeting. Oh, he said, preacher, I couldn't come on Wednesday night. See, I got a bowling league on Wednesday night. In fact, I'm in two, uh, well, I guess it was three leagues every week this year. And it's great. And the nights I'm not in the league games, I'm practicing. I see. Well, I said, hey, sure would like to see you on Sunday morning. Oh, he said, Breacher, I couldn't come on Sunday morning because on the weekends I go to bowling tournaments. I said, you're obsessed. You got one thing in your life around which your whole life revolves. You've got one thing that just makes you tick. You've got one thing that determines all your money. You've got one thing that just turns you on. You've got one thing that determines your physical structure. It determines what you eat and how much you eat. You've got one thing that determines your weekends. Your whole life is dictated to and mastered by one obsession. Jesus says that's the way I am, folks. I want to tell you I'm all wrapped up in and mastered by. I've got this driving passion from deep within. I've got one thing on my mind it drives me night and day what is it jesus it's the father's will now that's the context hang on to yourself because jesus says as so He says, as I'm mastered by and all wrapped up in and obsessed with the Father and His will, guess what? You're going to be all wrapped up in and mastered by Jesus and His will as my whole heart beats for the Father. So your whole heart is gonna beat for me as I've got one driving passion, one determining factor, one high priority in my life, Jesus says. So you're going to have one driving passion, one high priority in your life. It's gonna be Jesus and His will. Jesus is going to be your life. He's going to be your love. He's going to be your turn on. He's going to be your obsession. He's going to be the talk of your lips. You're going to think about him 24 hours a day. He's going to be intimately involved in everything you do. He's going to determine your evenings. He's going to determine when you get up, when you go to bed. He's going to determine where you go. He's going to determine your attitudes. He's going to be determining your business. He's going to be determining business deals. He's going to have you. He's going to determine how you conduct yourself at the school. Your whole life is going to revolve around And be mastered by
0: Jesus
1: You're going to be obsessed with Christ Why, you're going to stand shoulder to shoulder With the Apostle Paul And say for me to live is Christ Preacher There are some other things beside religion you know (laughs) You're right We preachers get carried away don't we (laughs) Really do You're right. You're right. I'm talking about legitimate things. You're right. You're right. I mean, religion is nice and Christianity is fine and Jesus has his place and certainly we want to keep the church open on Sunday and you're right. You're right. Don't worry about it. Don't get upset. You're exactly right. I mean, religion is really okay and it's fine to pray before your meals and we certainly want to be saved and go to heaven and and you're right. You're right. But there are other things in religion. You're right. You're right. You're right. It's okay. But I'm sorry, friend. We can't call you a Christian. I'm sorry. Can't call you a Christian. Because I have discovered, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus is Lord of all, or he isn't Lord at all. I've, I've come to believe, folks, that he's either your high priority, or he's not even in the list. I've come to find out, folks, he'll be your turn on, or he won't be. I've come to find out, folks, he'll be your obsession, or he won't be there. I've come to find out, folks, he'll be your love and your loyalty, your number one, your beating heart passion, or he won't be around. I've discovered it's all out for Jesus. My dad taught me well. He said, it doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian, just takes all there is of him. You don't have to be too hot to get in on this, but I'll tell you one thing It's going to take all your time and all your energy and all your money And you're going to have to have your whole life revolving around and dictated to by You're going to have to be obsessed and turned on with He will be Lord of all Or just don't count on going when He comes Now you see, we're not talking about super Christian over against lesser Christian We're not talking about super saint over against lesser saint We're talking about the bare minimum of getting in See, we're not talking about, well, I don't want a great big cabin in the sky anyhow. Just a little cabin by the gate. Now, if you want a great big mansion next to Jesus, you got to put in a lot of money and get all wrapped up in this thing. If you want a little cabin by the gate, just slip in $10 every now and then. We're not talking about that. You note around here, we don't talk about lukewarm Christians, kind of Christians. Maybe Christians hope they're Christians. We don't talk about that at all before, because, folks, there isn't such a thing as a lukewarm Christian. They don't exist. That's like talking about dry water. There's no such thing as half Christian. You're either all out for Jesus. Well, preacher, I'm trying to be. Do you go up to an elephant, whack him on the trunk and say, are you an elephant? Well, he says, I'm trying to be. You don't try to be an elephant. You either are or you aren't. And there's only one standard for Christianity, folks. And that is all out for Jesus. You see, we've developed a tri-level Christianity. There's one standard for preachers, one standard for laymen, and one standard for teens. Now, we expect preachers to be all out for Jesus. Yes, sir. And they're supposed to talk just like I'm talking. But laymen have other things to do You know, preachers They just sleep in in the morning And do their thing behind the pulpit And teens Oh, they've got all this stuff And one day they'll grow up And have responsibility And try to shape up a little But we understand And they'll get to go anyhow Folks, it's not the truth It's a lie Right out of the pit of hell There's only one standard in Christianity And the standard is All out for Jesus There's only one kind of Christian And it's all out for Jesus' kind Well, I'd better never catch my pastor doing that. Then we'd better never catch you doing that. Because i found out, folks, what God demands out of me is identical to the same thing He demands out of you. Well, what does He demand out of you? All out for Jesus. Number one, turn on obsession, passion, burning from the heart. Can I ask you, friend, when are you going to pull out all the stops and just begin to burn for Jesus? When's He going to be your love? When is He going to be your delight? When is He going to be the excitement of your being? When is He just going to be your living experience? When are you going to go all out for Christ? We do crazy things back our way We have uh, softball leagues in our church In our churches I don't know if you do that out here or not But we have these softball leagues, you know And all these guys get together and play softball And and all this stuff and It's great, they have a great time And we're for it And win a lot of people, you can win a lot of people Attract them to the church And hey, we're for that We had this teen rap We were having it in the summertime every night uh, Down at the church and one night when we were to have the teen rap, they had a softball league game. So we pushed the teen wrap up till later in the evening. We all went down to the ball game, had a fantastic time, came back, had a good crowd, had some eats, and then had this rap. The thing that really turned me on about the whole evening was the ball game. Well, it wasn't exactly the ball game. What excited me during that whole time was I was sitting on the bleachers, not playing. I was sitting on the bleachers next to this, uh, next to this young mother. And... She's what turned me on because she was she was so excited about the ball game that her excitement came to me and I got excited and I don't usually get excited but she really got me excited see it was fantastic now the thing about her that was interesting she, she started talking before the ball game ever started she started talking about the other ball game that had last week she was a mile a minute she was just going out and, out. and the next thing I knew this ball game started and she was all over the place she was a little heavy set which was okay but the only reason I tell you that is because we were sitting on bleachers and she got so excited she started bouncing up and down well of course I started bouncing up and down and it was great you know and she was all over the place telling the umpire, run don't run oh it was fantastic she was just I mean she was coming apart at the seams for a solid hour and a half two hours she was just getting with it and it was it was oh I did a dumb thing but she was on her way down and I was on my way up and I reached over and I tapped her on the shoulder looked her full in the face and she looked at me with some kind of a scowl as if to say what on earth are you in- interrupting this ball game for I looked her square in the face and said I can hardly wait to get you in church <laughs> dumb real dumb real dumb Learn my lesson. Hey, didn't have any problem getting her in church. Didn't even have to invite her. She was automatically there. One of the fine church ladies. (laughs) What a... What a dead fish. What a disappointment. Well, you expect me to act like I'm in a ball game? No. This is not a ball game Cheerleaders, sit down Don't pass out that popcorn This is not a ball game This is worship experience to the divine God We don't expect you to dress like you're at a ball game We don't expect you to act like you're at a ball game This is not a ball game But do I have to be embarrassed, ladies and gentlemen To tell you that the kind of The kind of Enthusiasm The kind of earnestness the kind of energy output the kind of caring the kind of attention the kind of outpour that she experienced at a ball game Jesus who's lord deserves that yes you're right i can tell by the expression on your face i ought to be embarrassed to say that because friend he deserves more We're talking about eternal issues. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about eternal destiny. We are a generation who's been sucked into junk. One of the greatest sins of our generation may be People's Magazine. Just trivia just junk about other people we love it we, we, we get all wrapped up in trivia and insignificant junk and we feed on it and we talk it but when it comes to the dynamic of eternal values we're a dead fish i want to ask you friend when are you going to go all out for jesus When's he going to become your love? When's he going to be your turn on? When's he going to become your delight? When are you going to pull out all the stops and just let your heart beat for Christ? (sighs) Bless your hearts, this has been hard, hasn't it? If you think this has been hard, the next few minutes are going to be a killer. I'm going to ask you to do something. We're not going to stand. We're not going to pray. I want to make this as hard for you to do as I can possibly make it. Bob's going to come and sing an invitational hymn for us. And I'm going to ask you to slip out of your seat and kneel at an altar of prayer. And when you do, if you want to pray for someone else, sit right right where you are and just pray away. If you want to praise God this morning, great. Just sit right there and praise him with all your worth. For when you get up and you come and kneel at this altar of prayer, you're going to bump the back of the pew because it's crowded. We're all going to turn around and look at you. You're going to walk down the aisle. We're all going to watch you come. You're going to kneel. We're all going to say, been on the board for five years, too. And it's going to be totally embarrassing. And when you kneel, we're all going to know why you've come. The issue's not good and bad. Everybody here is good. The issue is, he's not been all. Don't think for a moment, folks, this is some kind of a psychological whip-up by an evangelist to make everybody feel guilty. Everybody in this place, you know whether Jesus is your love. You know whether he's your turn on. You know whether he's your excitement. You know whether he's your life. You know whether he's a hobby that you have. You know whether he's the God you come to on Sunday morning and tip your hat to the God to check in down at the church house. You know, friend, whether he's an overcoat that you put on in the winter and take off in the summer. You know whether he's your life. And I'm trying to tell you, friend, you're damned until he's your life. You're not going to make it. There aren't degrees in Christianity. It's either all out for Jesus or it isn't. That's why we're a holiness church, you understand. And we are in the middle of an overwhelming struggle in this service about your eternal destiny. No more games. No more playing church. No more hiding out. No more, well, I'm not all that bad. Just plain flat, right down to it, all out. Here I am. I belong. It's gonna be hard. And I wanna tell you, don't rush into anything. Think it over. Because if you kneel at this older friend, it's gonna cost you everything you've got. This'll take all your money. This'll ruin your retirement. This'll mess up your Monday night TV. This'll absolutely demand all of your energy. You'll probably have to get so wrapped up in this thing that you'll probably, probably spend your energy ten years earlier than you would have and die. This will take not 10% of your money It'll take all of it This won't be Sunday morning attendance This will be every day All your time But it's the least It's where you start There's no Christianity without it You want in? Think it over Don't rush into anything And if you just this morning have to say, Oh, Jesus has not been my love. He's not been my life. I've not been all out. I've been playing games. I've had whole areas of my life. I've held out. He's not been my excitement. I've been a dead fish. And I want to do something about it. If you just absolutely feel like you have to do something about it this morning. And I suppose you could slip out of your seat and come. Otherwise, it's not worth the effort. Bob is going to sing. Our altar's open. Watch it. Think about it. Be careful. No games here. When are you going to go all out for Jesus? When's he going to be your life? This is for you. Don't Jesus have lost sight. What could match up to him? Oh, in chain a spirit's vision. We're talking about the least, friend. every week I have somebody come up to me and say oh you're always talking about total surrender and you're always talking about being all out for Jesus and I I just don't What what do you mean all out for Jesus how can you totally surrender your life to Christ hey I try not to be rude I'm a nice guy you know and I don't like to put people on the spot but folks I've had it with that question We do know how to go all out for Jesus. We do know how to give our total lives to Christ. We do know what it's all about. We know, why, teenager, you know how to give your whole life for athletics. Dad, you know how to give your whole life for a job. You know how to get all wrapped up in a boat. The question is not how. The question is, are you going to get all wrapped up in Jesus? When's your heart going to beat for him? Now, if there should be anybody here that would say, oh, man, well, you're a little radical. I I really don't think God is that tough. I mean, all or nothing. And I don't really think he's that tough. You know where I learned this from? the scriptures of course but secondly I learned it from my wife I found out friend all I have to do is go home look my wife square in the eye and say honey I love you but guess what I found that somebody else I love a little bit more and I've got a suitcase in my face she says manly I'm not going to put up with that I want your total all outness I want your total love or just packing in
0: Wow, I really hope that sermon really pressed you into Jesus Christ and a greater love and passion for Him. Would you remember that we are made to be obsessed, that God made us with this insatiable desire for more of Him? And again, I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode number 30 of this this podcast, which kind of fleshes this out a little bit more in a shorter, succinct version. Well, again, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including an outline and links to other resources and articles, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 48 for episode number 48. And until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around this one obsession, Jesus Christ.